everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Sober. Busy Living Sober. Busy Living Sober. We're on episode 227 with Stephen Donnelly. Hi, Stephen. How are you today? Elizabeth, thank you so much. I'm doing wonderful. It's been a great morning so far, and I look forward to talking with you. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. When um, when you when I was introduced to you, and I they um, I, Diane or I think it was Diane sent me the clip of your YouTube, and it was very and I'll include it with my with um, the podcast today. But wow, wow. That really got me inspired and intrigued, and I couldn't wait to talk to you and hear your story. So will you tell us what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today? I'd love to. What it was like was the fact that I started drinking and then drugging as a teenager, and it carried on for many years. Um, and of course, in the beginning, it was just the, the weekend warrior stuff. And then in 1976, when I was 21 years old, I was introduced to cocaine and cocaine became my lifeline. Cocaine was my partner, my significant other, whatever we'd like to call it for about 25 years. Drinking was much a part of it as well. Um, initially going to bars and parties, but then it got to be the, the sense of isolation uh, that I would drink by myself and I would certainly use cocaine uh, totally by myself. Didn't share it with anybody. I didn't go out partying. And that went on for many years. I went through a lot of money. I ended up stealing money. Uh, it was just a horror show. In, in, on November 29th, there was a intervention. The people who I worked for, I was a Catholic priest. I was uh, in a parish. And there was an intervention that saved my life. Um, that's not my sobriety date, November 29, 2000, but it certainly was the turning point in my life. I was um, sent away, I, I like to say hijacked to a rehab upstate New York. It was about three hours from where I was um, down here on Long Island, and it changed my life. Um, but I was a sick man, and, and I was in this rehab. Uh, I thought it was going to be for 28 days. I knew that I was going to be there through Christmas, and that was very upsetting both uh, as, as a priest, but also as a brother, uh, son, um, uncle, and my dear friend to many people that I was not gonna be home on Christmas. And I stayed through Christmas, through January, through February, through March, and into uh, mid-April, April 13th to be precise. And the whole time I was there, the 135 days I was up in rehab, I had no problem admitting that I was an addict because cocaine had beaten the daylights out of me, emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially. I, I was bankrupt in so many different areas. And I, I would say, my name is Stephen, I'm an addict, but I would not say that I was an alcoholic because in my heart of hearts, I didn't think I was an alcoholic. So after being in this rehab uh, 18 weeks, I came home and what's a good alcoholic do? They drink. And so the first day out of rehab, I didn't think of calling anybody. I didn't follow any suggestions whatsoever. And I drank. Um, drinking, alcoholism is a progressive disease. It didn't get progressive for me, but it what got to be like every day that I was drinking. I had stayed away from cocaine. Um, for that length of time. However, I found a package that I had left behind 
I proceeded to do it. Um, I, I wasn't one for suggestions, so why would I call anybody? If I called somebody, they would tell me, don't do it, throw it away, or I'll be right there. No, I wanted to do it. I could be frugal at times, so I used the cocaine. And uh, three days later, I was at my first outpatient uh, meeting, and I was given a cup to take care of business, so to speak. And um, when I went back to the outpatient facility four days later, uh, they told me that I'd come up dirty and the church sent me back up to rehab. Um, and I thought I had no idea. I, I didn't know what I was thinking, but I did think that I was gonna be there for a long time again. And I was there for 30 days. And at that point, this was the end of June, 2001, I started to take things serious because um, I realized that yes, I hadn't done cocaine, but the one time, and I knew how much damage that had done, but the, the alcohol, I did not believe in my mind that it had damaged uh, me that much. Physically, I was fine. Thank God I had no problem with the liver, um, health and annual checkups were all fine. So I started to subscribe minimally. Now, I didn't buy in completely, but I subscribed mentally to the program, did what I needed to do. But then that temptation, I'm an alcoholic. Yes, I, I had no problem admitting I was a drug addict, but I am just as much an alcoholic as I am a drug addict. And it wasn't maybe six months, eight months that I started uh, drinking occasionally. And then uh, the proprietor of this rehab asked me, to come up and do a service on the first anniversary of the horrific events of September 11, 2001. And on September 10th, 2002, which is my sobriety date, because it's the last day I've had any mood altering substance, on the way up to the facility, I uh, decided to get a bottle of Chardonnay. Why not? It's a two and a half hour trip. Let me uh, enjoy the trip. Sick, sick, sick. But I did that when I arrived at the facility um they noticed that i was probably a little bit woozy and they put me into a room which was a normal procedure i'd gone up there a number of times to visit and they came to my room and they uh, gave me a breathalyzer and i i blew a 15 and then they said get a good night's sleep and we'll talk to you in the morning and on the morning of september 11 2002 i was back in the fellowship and uh thank god that time it was only for about eight days i had a a wedding that I had to celebrate uh, 10 days later, and I did come home. But I realized on the evening of September 10th, 2002, that I was beat up. I was beat up. And it was at that moment um, that I did the third step, because the first step, I, I knew, I, I could admit very easily that I was the addict, and then I, I, now I could admit that I was an alcoholic. My life was certainly unmanageable come to believe I did never spend the second step was the easiest step in the 12 for me. But even though I Catholic was a Catholic priest and did things for God, with God, through God, is I hadn't, um, I had turned away from God. God never turned away from me. Mm. And uh, it was that night of September 10th, 2002, that I did, finally did the third step, that I surrendered. I put the white flag up. I realized that cocaine, alcohol had beat me up and I wanted nothing to do with that. And when I returned to Long Island after the um, eight day stay, I uh, bought into the program hook, 
line and sinker. I did everything that was suggested. Got a home group, 90 meetings in 90 days, almost 90 meetings in 90 days, but um, got the sponsor, got the, the commitment. And I did what was necessary because I, I, I didn't want to go back to that way of life. And I had a great sponsor. We worked through the steps. I did what was necessary. And uh, with the grace of God and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, for the last 18 years, I continue to maintain my sobriety one day at a time. I, I never say to anybody that I'll never drink again. I could say to you, Elizabeth, and to anybody uh, listening, watching, I'm not going to have a drink today. I went to a meeting a couple hours ago, and it was very interesting because um, it's a men's group. Uh, we socially distance, and we have to wear masks, and it is what it is right now, and I'm, I, I can accept that. But when we read from the 24-hour book today, there was a great concept because it talked about the fellowship of our drinking days and the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. The fellowship of my drinking days, yes, I drank with people, but it was so superficial. There was no relationship whatsoever. It was just if you had money in your pocket and you could put money on the bar, they were your friends. In Alcoholics Anonymous, and I would believe in any 12-step program, there's a true sense of fellowship. There's a true sense of unity. It's not just a superficial BS. It's all about what's going on in your life today. What, what, what type of pain do you have? How do I share this pain with others? And the other people in the room, whether it be uh, at the men's group this morning or whether it be at an open meeting uh, with men and women, is somebody in that room can identify with you and somebody in that room could help you. And I just, I cannot thank God, yes, and the men and women in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I realized that I had to do every day of my drinking, every day of my uh, drugging to be the person that I am. Um, I'm not a, a scripture scholar, but I do know a little bit of scripture. I did proclaim it every day uh, for all the time that I was a priest. And um, in Paul's letter, uh, Paul wrote many different letters, but in, in his letter to Corinthians, there's a beautiful verse. It says that our greatest weakness will become our greatest strength. And I believe that. I've lived that. My greatest weakness of addiction, my greatest weakness of alcoholism has become my greatest strength. Uh, and I, I, I embrace the 12 steps. I live one day at a time and I help many different people. I, I sponsored many people through the years. Some of them are still sober and some of them unfortunately are not sober. Uh, but I firmly believe that when the addict or the alcoholic throws up the white flag and surrenders to the God of their understanding, higher power, whatever people choose to call him, her, or it, they have a strong chance with, uh, with sobriety. And I'm just blessed to be sober today. And um, as I alluded to earlier, there's a darn good chance that I'm not gonna drink today. What's gonna happen tomorrow, I don't know. I gotta make tomorrow before I can even think it's gonna happen. I just stay in a moment, stay in a moment and uh, I'm blessed, richly blessed, thank you. Thank you so much for that, Stephen. And you mentioned that you were a priest. You were a priest. Yes. And and you be in. You were ordained when you were how old? 
I was a late vocation. I was ordained at 42 years old. I came into the seminary uh, in my mid-30s, and it was God's way of calling me. Uh, what had happened was uh, the diocese had a program, and they asked people to suggest men or women who may go into religious life, and somebody in my parish put my name in the, in the bucket, so to speak, in the basket, I received a letter from the bishop inviting me, and I discerned, uh, inviting me to a meeting, uh, a day of prayer, and it, it was a great call, um, and I really loved every day of being a priest. Uh, I'm not a priest today because of a, uh, an incident that happened in 2018. A woman made allegations against me, and I was suspended and then uh, uh, removed, mm. but I continue to do God's work. Yes, not from the domain of a church, but um, through, the, through the relationships, relationships one-on-one -on -one, or going to, to meetings and uh, writing the book uh, is just a way I, I share my, so basically I share my experience, strength and hope in, in uh, the book um, that uh, we've written, a, a Saint and a Sinner. And um, it's a story of my struggles, it's a story of my uh, recovery. It's a story of growth. It's a story of hope about that's available to anybody. It, it, you know, the disease of addiction, disease of alcoholism takes no prisoners. You know, it, 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 it could get anybody whatsoever from the richest person in the world to the person who's homeless and everybody in between. But this beautiful gift of recovery is available to everybody those who are well off and those who may not be well off yeah well it's huge well for one it's um to say you're courageous would be an understatement given the fact you know i was raised roman catholic myself so you know priests doctors politicians they're all put on this pedestal that's so high above us right they're like yeah. oh my gosh they're perfect they're unfallible they're like they have no character defects they're just perfect they're god's children and i have so many questions in regards to that because for one knowing you were a catholic priest and you were sober for 16 years right yes. while you were on while you're up on the altar and i know when you mix the blood of christ and the and the blood of salvation the body of christ and the blood of salvation that is that's alcohol right so how yes, did it you is. Deal, how did i want how did you deal with that thank you so much elizabeth because it's a question that people ask me is they because I was very open about my alcoholism uh, to the people of God who came to church uh, and so occasionally after a mass people would say father you know I saw you take the chalice I saw you take the, the blood of Christ and I would say yes I did but I would take such a small small sip of it um i you know i it, actually wine was the last thing i did drink before i got sober that bottle of chardonnay but wine wasn't so much a part of me and, and i i must confess that the altar wine in church is not the type of wine that you're going to be socializing with so it it, it wasn't it didn't uh, satisfy my taste buds and it certainly wasn't something that would uh, trigger me there is mustum, what uh, some Catholic priests would use, mustum, which is a, a variation of, it's non-alcoholic grape juice. 
But in my 16 years of sobriety, uh, it never it never crossed my mind to drink based on drinking the, the blood of Christ. Because it's interesting because I have, been, you know, I've, I've been going, I've been sober for 14 years and I still go to church regularly, right? And yes. so, and I'm now an Episcopalian, you know, Catholic light. And, um, and so many people will say to me, and I think it's a big question for people in recovery. And I love that we're talking about this because so many people in recovery are like, wait a minute, what should I do when I go to church? Should I take, I mean, I'm sure you hear that a lot. So I love that you said that, I mean, cause for me, I'm a dipper. I'm not a sipper out of the chalice, right? I am yes. a sipper. And, um, so that doesn't also, that, that for me has never triggered me, thank God, to pick up a drink, but it has, it, it does have a lot of people that wondering like, should I do this or should I not? And does it mean the same thing if I go to church and I don't take the wine? I mean, what do you think? What is your advice? I, I, my suggestion would be not to drink the wine. I think I was programmed in my mind. Uh, I know willpower doesn't get somebody sober. Uh, although I think for me, it was the willpower and the desire that I was not going to drink that made that wine. I didn't view it as wine. I viewed it as the blood of Christ, which many people would do. But I would strongly suggest to the alcoholics listening not to drink it. In the Catholic Church, you can receive the body of Christ, and that's sufficient. That, uh, that's fine. Uh, I would say that probably half the people at church so right now, because of the pandemic, that we don't even offer the, the blood of Christ. But when we do return to some sense of normalcy, I would strongly suggest not to, to drink it. But if, um, you know, I, I would hate to think that somebody went to church, prayed, and then because they had a sip or a dip, okay, that that taste, I, I almost parallel it to when we go out to dinner and, and people may order penny alabata order to I refrain from that uh, I I can't hear you I can't hear you can you hear okay. me now yes yes you're, you're back okay I'm sorry no problem. You said penny. You the last thing I heard is you said you'll refrain from having penny ala vodka and and tiramisu, right? Yes, or sponge cake, rum sponge cake. No, I don't. I don't go there. Um, and people could say that the alcohol is burnt off or such a minimal amount. I, I'm not. I, I'm not strong enough in my recovery, even with the amount of years I have, to to test that. There's many things on the menu. I mean, you go to an Italian restaurant, there's 28 entrees. Why would I have penny ala vodka? There's 16 desserts. Why would I order tiramisu? Uh, I like cheesecake. So, <laughs> you know, and, and cheesecake's not alcoholic. Right. Yes. I love that. And tell us this. So when the, your, the situation came up two years ago and you left, your, I mean, you're calling and I'm sure there was so much fear, resentment, so many triggers that came up. I can't, I'm so sorry you had to go through that because I can't even imagine. And then to think that you didn't pick up and it must've been so hard. 
how did what did you do what are some of the tools you use that you can share with us that helped you to get through I, i'd like to revisit that date and then of course talk about the tools because the tools are what did it but on that date july 26 2018 i was called into the chancery which is the church headquarters uh, you know where the ceo slash the bishop is and when i was informed that this woman um wrote this letter with these scathing allegations against me and that I was going to be suspended. I was going to be sent away to a facility in Pennsylvania for an evaluation, psychological evaluation, and told to go back to the rectory, remove my stuff, and, and find a place to live. So here I, I, I get into my car, and, and I mean, we always can look for an excuse to drink and drug, and this was a perfect excuse to drink and drug. My legs had just been cut out for me. My life was up and it was completely convoluted at the time, but I turned to God. I turned to God at that moment. And then I called my sponsor while I was driving back from Rockville Center to Seaford. Many people don't know what I'm talking about. It's a short trip, 10, 15 minute trip. And just said to, you know, do you feel like drinking? I said, no, I don't feel like drinking. And I came back to the rectory and I spoke to the pastor and um, he said, stay for dinner, stay overnight. Don't worry about, you know, getting everything out tonight. We'll work on that. We had a wonderful cook uh, at that time who I helped get into recovery. And the gentleman just celebrated three years um, back in October, and it, which is a great gift for, for, for him. But he came and I was sitting outside uh, just filled with remorse and pain. And he, he said to me, Stephen, he said, let me ask you two questions. And I said, sure, Michael. And um, he said, uh, are you in trouble with the law? I said, no, there's nothing criminal involved with what may have occurred or what did not occur. I said, there's no trouble with the law. He says, okay. He says, do you have a life-threatening illness? And I guess I could have answered alcoholism because that could be, but I knew what he implied, uh, something, you know, cancer or something else. I said, no. So he said, so what the hell's wrong? And at first I was taken back by it, but then I thought about it is I'm not in trouble with the law. And to this day, I remain not in trouble with the law. And with the grace of God, I don't have any uh, life-threatening illnesses, you know, addiction, sure, but uh, I don't have cancer or anything else. I've been free of COVID-19 as of today, thank God. Um, so then, uh, what? Uh, as I was waiting for the time between uh, that day and going to this facility in Pennsylvania, I, I worked the program. I worked the program. I spoke to people. I spoke to my sponsor. I spoke to others. I shared, I shared at the meetings. And I think that is so important because so often we hold things back. I could be very closed like a clam. And when I'm able to, to share my feelings and, and, and get feedback or after the meeting, somebody may come up to me and talk to me and don't keep things bottled up. Uh, I mean, I drank from a bottle for so many years. So why do I want to put things back into a bottle? Let me just be open about it. And, and what I found in, in recovery is that um, we're sick as our secrets. And, and to this day, I don't have any secrets whatsoever. I, I mean, the book was basically a public confession about things that I did, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'd like to think that there's more good than bad and ugly. And yes, there are. But 
is when we go through those moments of turmoil, when we go through those moments where we might be filled with angst, talk about it, talk to a sponsor, talk to people in the program, get your butt to a meeting. You know, meeting makers make it. And I'm firmly convinced of that. In my home group, there's people there with 35, 40 years of sobriety. And I used to wonder, if I have this program for 35 years, why do I need to continue to go to meetings? Because it works. You know, if something works, we do it. And so I was able to get through those darkest days of my life. And uh, believe me, I miss, I, I miss celebrating the sacraments and being around. But Alcoholics Anonymous gives me an avenue where I'm still doing work. I'm still doing God's work with other addicts, with other alcoholics. And by helping them, I help myself. Yeah. And I and being on here is helping people. You know, it's like everything we do, it's showing up. It's even opening the door for someone. I have a question for you, Stephen. So for the person that's listening, who's never been to a meeting, they're so scared. Cause I can say for me, like that was the scariest thing I, for me ever to do was like go to a meeting and raise my hand and say, I'm an alcoholic. Cause even though I knew it for so long and it was like more scary to me than buying cars, getting married, having children, all those things, right? And then there's so many people today, which is unfortunate, I think, that are scared of the God word. Not They're scared of it. I mean, it comes out sideways that I don't like God. I don't trust God. I hate that God stuff. For whatever reason it is personally to that person. And what is your advice to somebody that's coming in and they're so put off by it, but we need it. I and mean, we need something higher. And, you know, I know people say the doorknob. I, that always makes me feel kind of crazy. Yes, yes. What is your advice to them? I, I it, It's like it was shared with me many years ago. Uh, you hang around a barbershop long enough, you get a haircut. And I think in AA, is what happens is yes, people go to that first meeting scared out of their wits. This is something, who's gonna see me? I can't go to a meeting in my town because you know my neighbor's gonna see me there or whatever. But to get to that meeting, put your hand up at that first meeting and say, my name is Steven, I'm an alcoholic and this is my first meeting. What will happen is the people will swarm around you like bees. Uh, they're gonna be giving you a, a, a list of phone numbers. And here, here's a, a pet peeve of mine with those lists of phone numbers. What happens is Stephen comes into the meeting, puts his hand up, says, it's my first day back from rehab, or this is my first meeting. Everybody claps. Oh, glad to have you here. And then right away, the guys send around a, a meeting list and you get a, a meeting list for that whatever county you happen to live in. And it's got 28 names on it. Tommy, 631, blah, blah, blah. Billy, pop, 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 you know, all these different phone numbers. You don't know these people from Adam. And now I'm going to get on the phone and just dial, you know, a 10 digit number and, and say, uh, Tommy, my name is Steven. I don't think I'd have the courage for that. So what I suggest to the veterans in the group, people like myself, is to go up to the newcomer, say, my name is Steven. And this is my phone number here. You know, and nowadays everybody carries their phone with them. Put my phone number in your, in your thing. Give me a call make that person feel welcome. And for the recipient of that, for the newcomer, is be, be open, be open to the experience and don't close your mind after one meeting. Not every AA meeting is for you, uh, you know, and I, I could be selfish at times. The meeting, you know, I go to a meeting sometimes and like, well, what did I get out of it? 
It's not what I got out of it. It's what, how did I bring myself there and what am I putting into it? Because we only get out of something what we put into it. So for the newcomer, and when you hear this, all this talk about God, 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 it's, it's what you believe. And, and it's not the religion that you were brought up in. It could be. I mean, I hear so many times people say, I went to Catholic school for 12 years. I, I did enough of that. It's not about Catholicism. It's not about any other religion whatsoever. It's about having a relationship with something much greater than ourselves. And yes, Elizabeth, you mentioned the doorknob. I've heard the great outdoors, good orderly direction, different uh, you know acronyms that people may use. But to realize that we don't do this on our own. We do it with the help of a God of our understanding, the help of a higher power, and the support, the support of the fellowship. And go to different meetings when they're open. And, and I know in different parts of the country, they, they may be doing Zoom or whatever, which is a good venue. It's what we have now. Uh, here on Long Island, there are a few groups that are meeting limited numbers, 20, 25 people. But go to different meetings. And, and when you're at these meetings, listen. Listen attentively. And when you hear people share, listen to their share. Do you want their recovery? I know people, and, and I, I don't want to knock people in AA. That's not what I'm here for. Of course not. But I've heard people with 35, 40 years of sobriety, and when they share at meeting, every other word is a curse. Uh, they're they're, they're cry, crying about this, crying about that. Is that my form of sobriety? I don't know. I, I do know. It's not my form of sobriety, but it, you know, sober living isn't just putting the alcohol, the plug in the jug. Sober living is embracing this. And yes, we get to the 12 step as a result of having, you know, work these steps, bring it into all of our affairs. But by the same token for the, for the newcomer, give it a shot, give it a second chance and don't get turned off by God. Don't get turned off by those guys who come up to you with this intimidation I'm going to be your sponsor. You'll call me at eight o'clock every morning. We work this program on God's time and of course our time as well. I love that, Stephen. I love that. I want to ask you one more question because it's a big question right now with what's going on in the world and politically and with the pandemic. And there's so many people that are out there praying. And so we come into this program and you talked about religion, you talked about spirituality and I, people ask me all the time, how do I know I'm praying right? And I'd love for you to tell us your opinion on what is a right prayer? What is a wrong prayer? I, and if there is such a thing as a right prayer and a wrong prayer, and what is that and how important it is to your life today? That's a great question, Elizabeth. And I, I, I firmly believe that with what's been going on with COVID-19, with this whole election crisis. And now we, we hear that the vaccines are coming out and 46% of the people may take the vaccine. What about the other 54%? How do we pray that A, I, I, I don't get COVID or somebody, one of my loved ones doesn't get COVID? Prayer, prayer is conversation with God. And just as much when I meet somebody and I want to get to know them, what attracts me to somebody in the program or in life is this common things that we have, whether they love sports. I'm a very avid sports fan. Unfortunately, my teams don't do too well. Um, <laughs> let's just say my football team hasn't won a game this year, so you know who I root for. 
my baseball team plays in a town called Flushing, and at times they could be flushed in the toilet. So um, let's, you know, but with, with, with sports and nobody could go to the games today anyway. But so if I'm speaking to somebody and they have some common interests, I love to go to Broadway, no Broadway until next year, but it's going to come back. There's common things and we converse and we get to know better. When I'm praying, I'm conversing with the God of my understanding. And I could do formal prayers. I, I could do the Lord's Prayer, which we pray at many 12-step meetings. I could pray the serenity prayer. I could pray in the, in the Catholic faith. There's uh, something called the rosary, beautiful form of prayer. In, in different faiths, they have prayer. What prayer works for me? I need to feel comfortable with my prayer. And prayer could be the formal thing that we read from the, from the Bible. Prayer could be a prayer that we, we pray the serenity prayer. The serenity prayer is a beautiful prayer. If we really break it down into three different sentences, grant me to the serenity to accept the things I can't change. Wow, how many things can I change? I can't change what other people's behaviors are. So grant me the serenity to accept that. Change the things that I can. What is going on? Character defects, shortcomings, whatever. Change. I can change that. Stephen could do that in his own life. And the most important, the wisdom to know the difference. So I'm not changing anybody else. I can change myself and I need to have that knowledge that I can. So I really believe that it, it, for me, prayer is the bookends of my day. I begin the day with prayer, thanking God, gratitude. Gratitude is so important. Maybe, maybe that's what our prayer could be, especially in this month of December. We're a couple of weeks away from Christmas uh, for those in the Christian faith. Uh, Hanukkah uh, in the Judeo faith begins this evening. Those are times of grace and those are times of gratitude. Uh, one thing I ask my sponsees is for the first week that I work with them to write down three things every day that they're grateful for. It could be something as simple as a sunrise if they wake up early. It could be the sunset. It could be a visit to a cousin or a friend it could be anything and when they look at that list the common denominator in those 21 things if they do seven or three days three a day seven a days is they all come from something greater than us a higher power a god whoever we happen to call it isn't that prayer isn't gratitude prayer thanking something you remember as children we used to send letters uh notes excuse me to aunt betty and to somebody else well that's what we do. That's what we do in prayer. We thank God in gratitude and we offer up. And then when we receive a blessing from God, the God of our understanding, thank him. If I thank Aunt Betty for an ugly sweatshirt 28 years or 90 years ago, in my case, not quite, but a long time ago, is I thank God. Yes. Oh, Stephen, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been wonderful. I'm Thank grateful you. that I got to meet you. I'm grateful you wrote this book and hopefully it'll help so many people. I'll have the link for the YouTube and I'll have the book cover on the site. And I just want to wish you many blessings and Merry Christmas to you. Thank you so much for coming on today. Elizabeth, thank you so much for having me. Merry Christmas to those who celebrate Christmas. Happy Hanukkah for those who begin their celebration tonight and happy holidays. And um, God bless all of you. Thank you.
Thank you so much. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Love everybody that's out there. Remember that if you've listened today, you are not alone and please reach out. You can reach me at busy, B-I-Z-Z-Y at busylivingsober.com. And until next time, keep getting busy, living sober. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.